Sean. Hey, Radcast is on. And welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Zumbo. Gentlemen, I am pleased to be here, and I use that term loosely when I say gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Al Winder. Just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us on a podcast for a little bit. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. Nothing makes me happier than a cold in Minnesota. If I can't be out fishing, I should be talking about fishing. (laughs) (laughs) Hailing from Wisconsin, Jenna Waller. Thanks so much for having me. It's Redcast. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. Powered by Bo Spider. Brought to you by PK Lures and High Mountain Seasonings. And now, here's your hosts, Patrick Edwards and David Merrill. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. We're in the great indoors talking about the great outdoors. Today, via this new technology I got, we got Patrick with us, and we also have an, a guest that is long overdue. I am super excited to bring this guy on, guys. So welcome to the show, Mr. Ray Howe. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. Yes. Nice and cold here in Wisconsin this morning, and we're inside, snuggy warm. <laughs> it's good. It's a cold one in Wyoming too, so we're right there with you, buddy. It's freezing wow. cold here. <laughs> I was out running chores and horses and chickens and firewood, and it was like eight below. Yeah, it's a good day to be indoors talking about the great outdoors. And I want to start right off the bat. Ray, how'd you take us all the way back? And I know you've told the story a hundred times, but we're here to reshare it. This is a hunting and fishing podcast. Take us back to your earliest memories and how'd you get started and just give us an overview and take as long as you want. How I got started was sitting in a small room looking at a hunting magazine and going through it and seeing all the pictures of the moose and the bear and reading stories about Africa and Canada and Alaska. Do people really get to do this stuff? And at that point, I was in a rough situation. I was had run away from my foster home several times and I'm sitting in jail. And for whatever reason, I saw this magazine and it pulled me out of my situation for a while. And gosh, this is something I'd like to do. I had a plan that my plan was to get into the parole officer's car again. And uh, when we got to the first stop sign, I'm going to take off running because I'm not going back to that imprisonment again. And So I'm reading this, and I thought, man, this is really cool stuff. And just then, the bars and the door dropped, and there he's standing there, the walking nightmare. He says, come on, Ray, i got to take you back home. And I got up, and I followed him. I I know I probably looked like I was walking the plank, because I think he knew something was up. But I got in the car, I'm looking for the stop sign, and he said to me, he says, Ray, he says, I saw you reading a hunting magazine. He said, would you like to go hunting sometime? And I never got to go hunting. I never got to go fishing. I never got to do nothing. And I said, yeah, I'd like to go hunting sometime. And he said to me, he says, you promised me that you don't run away from your foster home again. I'd like to take you hunting with me and my sons. And in the meantime, I'm going to find you a better home. I want you to know that anybody who ever told me they were going to show up to take me hunting and fishing never showed up. But there I was getting up every morning, milking cows, going to school, smelling like a cow and milking cows for chores <laughs> at night. Didn't get to do nothing except work. And one day my foster mother walked up and said, Ray, Tom called. He wants to come with your sons, his sons on Friday and take you hunting with him. Would you want to go? I said, are you kidding me? Man, you could have heard me scream all the way back to Wisconsin. Man, oh man. And no kidding. Tom was different than everybody else. He showed up. We went to a cabin out in the middle of nowhere in Black River Falls. There's a big pond there. and Man, we got to go fishing and shooting bows. and They got me some camouflage clothes. I'm, man, I, I might see a white-tailed deer. My head is really sw- uh, swimming with this. And there's a campfire telling stories. His sons were great, just incredible. And that night, <clears throat> I went to bed. I had my hunting clothes on. I never went to sleep. I, I was just fired up. I want to go hunting. And the next morning, the alarm clock went off about 4.30 in the morning. And when the alarm clock went off, one of the doors opened up. Bang, there's Tom standing there. Here comes the boys. Everybody's dragged along. Come on, Ray, this is tradition. Out the back door they went, ran right off the dock and jumped into that lake. And I said, you guys are nuts. I can't believe it. They're out there swimming around in the dark. And they're screaming, come on, it's tradition. you got to jump in. you got to jump in. And you know what? It wasn't very long I jumped in, and I became a part of that family. 
It was awesome. I remember seeing my first white-tailed deer that weekend. I had buck fever so bad. I'm going to tell you what. I it, Unbelievable. I was hooked, and I was hooked forever. And on the way home, uh, Tom said to me, he said, Ray, he said, you're going to be 18 years old soon. I'm going to tell you, from the age of 13, 14 to 18, is forever. And he said, when you turn 18, he says, you can have your own family, you can make your own money, and you can go hunting. You're an American, and you're free. And you know something? I only went hunting with Tom maybe four times during my high school career, but I had a mentor. I had somebody I, had, I could talk to. And going back to when I was five years old, I really had a great dad, and I had a wonderful mom. And one day my dad said, my mom, I'm leaving. And I went out and hid in the back of the car because I didn't want him to go without me. And she found me in the back of the car and pulled me out. And I'm kicking and screaming, Dad, don't go without me. And he was like a different person. He didn't even know me. He got in the car, drove out of the driveway, and down the road he went. And it was like a dark cloud came over our family. And my mom, she was confused. I thought my dad was going to come back. We stood at the window every day waiting for dad to come home from work. He never showed up again. But a couple months went by, and my grandpa, who I didn't know, he showed up with my grandma. He walks in, and all of a sudden, there's joy in the house again. There's laughter and, and kidding around. And, and he said, we're packing you up, and we're going to move you back to La Crosse, Wisconsin. And uh, gosh, we moved back in with, to La Crosse with my grandpa, and my grandpa became my hero. Gosh, he was my friend. He treated me so good. He'd take me around and introduce me to all his friends, and I got to do stuff. I got to go fishing. Yeah, he bought me my first bicycle. You know, life was pretty good. And up until about 12 years old, when my grandpa got really sick. And uh, he got so sick, and he was in bed all the time. And my mom and my grandma talked to us kids, and they said, Grandpa's got this thing called crawling stomach cancer. I don't know nothing about that. And to me, I thought he just had the flu. But he kept losing weight and kept shrinking. And I'd see him every day and talk to him. But one day they took him to the hospital. And I figured, get to the hospital. He's going to get fixed up and get back home. And boy, uh, I'll tell you what. I, I would go to the hospital after school to see him. And uh, one day I went to the hospital. And they wouldn't let me in the room. And uh, my grandpa had passed away. A second time in my life, a man that I loved very much was gone. And for no reason. And now this dark cloud came over to uh, family again. And with this, my mom was confused. My grandma was confused. The spirit, the, the leader of the family is gone. And there was no more focus on the kids like normal. It was more about how are we going to get through this? How are we going to get food on the table? How It was, for me, going to school got pretty rough. I wasn't the best baseball player or the best basketball player, and I got bullied. I got bullied quite a bit. And I remember one time I got beat up so bad at the school, I ended up in the hospital for three weeks. And you know what? I didn't want to go to school no more. I didn't want to be around that. So I started skipping school and started hanging around with other kids that had the same situations as I did. And in doing that, you were protecting yourself. But on the other hand, you're going down a path that is a bad path because Man, there was drinking, there was partying on the beaches. I didn't have to go home no more. I didn't go to school. I skipped school. I was, I don't know, just like somebody let the cat out of the bag, and here I go. And But I remember going down the back streets of Onalaska, Wisconsin. <laughs> I turned 13 years old, and we're driving down the back roads, and I looked at the speedometer and said 110 miles an hour. And I was out of control. I really was. And... We slept on the beaches and partied all the time. And anything and everything you could imagine that you wanted, you could get. Just a kid. So one day I went home to see my mom because I loved her very much. And I walked in there and there was a strange guy in the house. He come right out and said, you kids are out of control. Put us in two different cars. And I went to a foster home up in Holman, Wisconsin that was a work farm. And my brothers and sisters went to a different place. And my brother Dan went to a boy's home. And anyway, so as things were going, every time I had a chance to run away from that home, I did. And I hated being imprisoned in that kind of life. It was 
There was no love in there. It was just get up every day, work, and go to school and work. And in the summer months, you didn't do nothing but work all day. And it was different. So I ran away every time I had a chance. And the fifth time I ran away is when I figured my mom had called the police because I went to see her at home. and I wasn't there five minutes, and they had me. And I didn't even get to goof around with my friends. And I went to jail. And so I sat there for three days trying to figure out how am I going to get out of this life. My mom turned me in. She don't care about me. Nobody cares about me. I wasn't suicidal, but it was not a good situation. And so on the third day uh, that I was telling you about, I got up, I had my cornflakes, I had my coffee, which was terrible in jail. And I sat down on that metal table and I was sitting there and that's when I saw the magazine. And for three days, I cried my eyes out in jail because I had nobody. I remember kneeling down up against a steel bed and asking God to put somebody in my life that would never leave me. And that it was was just wishful thinking. And anyway, so as things went forward, that's what happened. This man, his name was Tom Pokey, became my mentor. And... I got to go hunting and uh, fishing with his sons and him, and uh, I learned a lot. And I knew that when I turned 18 years old, this is what I want to do. And that's exactly what happened. I tell you, everything that he told me came true. I I got to have my own job and make my own money. Uh, I got married one month after I turned 18, and I got to go hunting. And I think by the time I was 23, I could not make enough money I had five kids now. They're popping out left and right. And so I did what my grandpa did. I quit a perfectly good job, and I went into business for myself. And what was interesting about that, it was the fear of failure and not putting food on the table for my kids is what made me succeed. There was no 40 hours a week. It was whatever it took. And the business started to grow, and at the same time, I got involved with a sport of drug-free powerlifting. And after I turned 18 and I had the opportunity to wait, I didn't want to be picked on anymore. I didn't want to be bullied anymore. And it turned out that uh, having something like that to do was really a stress reliever. It really helped, and it helped in business. And so every day I would take uh, an hour to an hour and a half every day, and I'd go work out in the gym. After about five years of doing that, I decided to enter a powerlifting tournament. I thought I would do pretty good. <laughs> I went to Fox Valley. I entered that powerlifting tournament. I got beat so bad, I could not believe it. I got hammered. But on the other hand, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because that really pushed me to really start learning more and staying focused. And, and what ended up happening was about 10 years went by, and I, I was – doing pretty good. I was winning first place once in a while. And after about 15 years of it, I was uh, starting to set some state records and went after national records. And I remember the one day I went to Osceola, Wisconsin, because there was the right judges, if you set a world record there, that it would be recognized. And I went there and I set a world record and I could not believe it. And Man, oh man, what a dream come true. About probably two months went by, and I get this letter from the United States Powerlifting Association asking me if I could compete at the world tournament for the United States. I looked at that letter. I said, man, I can't believe this. I'm just going to hang it up on the wall because nobody ever gets a letter like this. But I will tell you, the meet was in Idaho Falls, and it was in September. I trained all year for that meet. And when I got to that meet, there was people from all over the world. There was the Russians and the Germans and the Chinese and the Japanese. There was everybody there. Everybody looked funny. Everybody had interpreters. It was just different. And you couldn't talk to anybody. And there was a few other guys that were from the United States and that I met. And, but anyway, after five days of competing, I remember thinking that the Russian might have me because he was a little bit lighter than I was. And that's how close this thing was. And ended up that he got second place and I won first place. And here, what an accomplishment to stand on that stage and listen to the anthem and and the flag is there. And I was crying. I I was just so happy. And uh, 
I remember receiving the trophy and I walked off the stage and there's a Russian guy standing there that took second place and I had a kicking bear shirt on. And I stood there, I took my kicking bear shirt off and I handed it to him. And he looks at me like I'm crazy. And then his interpreter said to me, it's too good of a gift. I said, what do you mean it's too good of a gift? It's just a t-shirt. And I, I said, no, it's for him. I don't want it back. And, and uh, she took off running. And I didn't know what was going on. And then she come back and says, she's got this big red jacket in her hand. And it was a Russian jacket. It was his powerlifting jacket. And he handed it to me. Wow. After all that was over, it's funny. Everybody gives you dirty looks. They followed me all over the place during the tournament watching me and I couldn't even hardly go to the bathroom without people watching me. And, and But after the tournament was over with, boy, these people were really good people. Talking to their interpreters. I got invited to come to Russia and hunt in Russia. And they said, well, I can't hunt over there with a bow. They won't let you hunt with a bow. I said, I'd love to come over and hunt with you guys. But <clears throat> I couldn't bow hunt over there. The other thing about them with the Russian team was they were all military, every one of them. And, but it was really cool. It was and. Because of those bullies beating the daylights out of me, look what happened. You can look at some really bad things that went on in life, but if they wouldn't have done what they did, I would have never kept myself in that kind of shape. On the other hand, I really believe God had me in that kind of shape to do what was coming at me that I didn't even know yet. I got to chase my dreams all over the, with my bow. Man, if I wanted to go deer hunting, I'd go deer hunting. The next thing is, man, I'd like to go elk hunting. I went elk hunting. And then I'd go moose hunting. And then it was brown bears and grizzly bears and polar bears. And I realized that just like in business, it wasn't how good I was. It was how persistent I was. And if you failed, you just keep at it. All you got to do it one time and do it right. And you've done it. That was really something. Just seeing some of the things you see. Man, we went bow fishing for sharks, and we went chasing hogs on horseback. And some of the craziest things up in the mountains, you're in such good physical condition chasing sheep. You're in the best physical shape in your life. And you sit down one day and say, yep, you're a wish. You ain't going to be able to make this hunt. And it all becomes mental. Man, did I learn about that. And But all those things were an awesome journey of following your dreams. And the whole thing started with looking at a hunting magazine in a jail cell at 13 years old. I, I did very well in business. I did very well in powerlifting and the hunting. It seemed like in all the things you're doing, uh, this is interesting. When I was younger, I wanted to make a million dollars. And when you made your first million, you wanted to make a second. Then you wanted to make a third. Then you realize there's no cap to that. And so your whole focus is making money. And the same thing with the power lifting. You set records, you want to set another record. Then you want to set another record. Then you realize you want to be the strongest man that ever walked the face of the earth. And you just keep going. And it's the same thing with honey. When you get it in your head, yep, someday I want to harvest a, a brown bear with my bowl. You go harvest that brown bear, then oh, hey, I want to go I want to go harvest a polar bear. Once you harvest a polar bear, What's next? It just, there's no cap to that. So in all the things that I was doing with this earthly focus and being a self-made king, just by persistence, I was accomplishing it. It's, uh, it's interesting how God will put dreams in your heart as a kid. And someday he'll turn around and use those dreams to his glory. And that's exactly what happened to me. I did... <clears throat> Uh, with the archery end of it, I never pursued people, but I was being pursued. And I had a lot of companies come and say, Ray, you're hunting all these animals. Would you test our equipment? Would you like to be on our pro staff? What do you think about being an ambassador to our company? Meeting a lot of these people was really cool. And doing some of the things that I did was pretty eye-opening. One of the things that was <laughs> crazy, but it was really cool, was going to the grand openings for Gander Mountain, and instead of cutting the ribbon with the scissors, I'd cut it with an arrow. And I'm going to tell you something. you got three to 600 people standing around you, and <laughs> you're going to cut a ribbon with an arrow. You shoot a little high or a little low, it sounds like a Harley Davidson going off around you. It gets pretty – I don't like to find out who that guy is. 
And I got some stories on a ribbon cut that were hilarious. But I, I became a perfectionist at my shooting so that, and it was the same thing with the animals too. It wasn't that I wanted to be a better shot than anybody. I never wanted to wound an animal. I knew that when I drew my bow, I wanted to place that arrow where it belonged. And I learned about tuning bows. I learned about arrows. I, I, and I learned about fletching. I learned about broadhead. I came up with a system that really worked for me. And the other thing I did was there was five other guys that I knew that were chasing the same dream. They were going after the Super Slam. And instead of calling outfitters and stuff, I'd call them guys and say, hey, uh, have you guys been on a, a moose hunt? Have you been on a sheep hunt? Where's a good place to do this or that? And they did the same with me. And between the five of us, it worked out really good because what ended up happening was my hunts became about 98% successful. One of the guys that was there was Pat Aquin. And Pat Aquin is a character. And I was at an event with Pat. And he looks like a movie star. And Pat was talking to my wife and talking to my wife and talking to my wife. There's hundreds of other people. He's talking to my wife for about 45 minutes. And uh, uh, I finally about had it. I started getting a little swolled up and started turning green. And uh, <laughs> I walked up to Pat. And uh, I said, what's going on here? And they both looked at me at the same time. And they said, we're talking about your salvation. I knew how to grab Pat by the collar and tell him to stay away from my wife. I didn't know how to handle what was just said to me. I shook my head and walked away from him. And so about two nights later, I was back home, and Pat calls me on the phone. And Pat does the boldest thing I've ever had a man do. He calls me on the phone. He says, Ray, I want to talk to you about having your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'd never heard that before. Pat talked to me for probably another half hour. Most went in one ear and out the other, but I did hear what he said to me. And I think it was the following week. I used to go to church just to be family-like and just be there. And I went to church, and guess what day it is? It's Father's Day. And I walked in church, and I'm sitting down, and I started thinking about, man, it's Father's Day. I get to be a dad. I, I got a business, I got to go hunting, I get to do this and that. I don't think I'd want to change things. And that day I sat there thinking about it and I forgave my dad for what happened to me when I was a kid. And I'll tell you something, I didn't realize how much weight was on my shoulders. I sat there, I started crying because I got emotional over it. And I walked out of that church a different person. And so going forward, I, I'm being asked to do a ribbon cutting and I'm telling you, I'm not kidding you. When you could hit something the size of a dime at 20 yards every time, you get that many people around you, you got to really be focused. So I practice all the time. And for whatever reason, I, I decided I, when I was hunting all the time, I practiced at long range to make me a good short range shooter. Your confidence is everything. And having a well-tuned bow and being able to, place the shots at long distance when you got a 20 30 40 or 50 yard shot it becomes a chip shot because you're shooting pop cans at 100 yards and anyway i thought i'm going to put some ribbons on the target and i'm going to see if i can't cut a ribbon at 100 yards and so i went out there i put five ribbons on the target i stretched them on there and I walked back to 100 yards. I had a technique where I would just use the top of my pin to to aim with. And it really works well. If you want to take your 20-yard pin and just use the top of your pin, you can put it on somebody's knock at 20 yards and blow their knock off. It was fun stuff to play with. But shooting long range at uh, pop cans or small objects, if you use just the very top of your pin, you can see what you're aiming at. And you got a spot where you can hold and release and just hold. And boy, that really worked good for me. And I did a lot of shooting demonstrations doing that, but that was the method that I used. That day, I had the five ribbons on there. I thought, man, if I could cut a ribbon at 100 yards, I'll be really confident at 21 yards is what it was. And the story at 21 yards is crazy, too. Most of the time, at 21 yards, the broadhead was straight up and down. When I was shooting at 20 yards, the broadhead would be 
horizontal instead of vertical. I, and I cut a ribbon where the arrow went through it horizontal instead of vertical. It didn't cut the ribbon. <laughs> Long story. So anyway, 21 yards seemed like the broadhead was always turned right. And so I get up there and I took my 100-yard pin, drew it back, and I touched it on the top ribbon. And when I released, in a blink of an eye, it's like 1,001, 1,000, whap. It's, that's how long it took. And in the blink of an eye, it cut that top ribbon. I couldn't believe it. Blew my mind. I cut a ribbon. And so I grabbed the second arrow. I cut the second ribbon. And right down the line, I cut five ribbons in a row. Humanly impossible to do. And the dumbest thing I ever did was I didn't have a camera guy with me. So who would ever believe I did anything <laughs> like that? I, I couldn't believe it. I walked up to the target. I'm just... I think God has got to be guiding these arrows because there is no way. And I want to tell you something too. This is interesting. I tried to do it two more times after I did it that day. I've never been able to accomplish that again. But for that day, God had a purpose. And I walked up and there's all five arrows in the target. The ribbons were laying there perfectly to the sides. And I said, man, I can't believe this. And I got all the confidence in the world. Now I started pulling the arrows out. And I started thinking about it. God had to be guiding these arrows. And I'll tell you, by the time I got to the fifth arrow, I pulled that arrow out. And I thought, God had to be guiding my arrow since I was five years old. Did everything happen to me for a purpose since the day my dad left? I pulled that arrow out. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about what Pat Aquin said to me. I'm thinking about forgiving my dad at the church and thinking about this being humanly impossible and... <laughs> I thought, well, I'm going to put five more ribbons on the target. I put five more ribbons up and I stretched them. I started walking back to where I'm going to shoot again. And it was just like somebody hit me in the back with a club. I got partway back. I knew the truth. And, man, I went down to my knees. I had my bow in one hand, the arrows in another. I raised them up. And I said, Lord, from now on, this is no longer to my glory. It's yours. And I asked God to forgive me for my sins. And I asked him to guide me and let me know what to do for the rest of my life. And what ended up happening was the next few minutes, I had more wisdom come in my head than I've ever had. My trophy room has got hundreds of mounts in it. And he put it in my heart right then. The day I died, all those mounts are going to be in somebody else's house. My name's not going to be on them. So what did I accomplish there? Nothing but for Ray Hall. All the money I had in the bank. I want to tell you something. If you got money, you're going to find out real quick. You don't know who your friends are. And you can't take the money with you. And so, actually, it's a, a downer. I, I don't know how else to put it. But you can't take it with you. So, what do you accomplish there? Nothing but for Ray Hall. The same thing in the sport of powerlifting. I did. I went after the world records, and I set world records, and I was going to do it so that nobody could ever break those records. But I also knew that someday somebody worked at it as hard as I did and had a little better day than me would break my records, and they have been broken. My name ain't the top of the record books. There's only one record still held. And I knew right then and there, God put them on. You've only got this much time left on this earth. And he said, put it on my heart to let every kid know that no matter what their problems are, uh, he's got a purpose for him, and the purpose is for good. And so I want you to know, I was a self-made king one minute. The next minute, I was a follower of Jesus Christ. Hmm. I walked away from all the earthly things. And what's interesting, becoming a disciple is also no walk in the park. I started reading the scriptures. I started getting uh, involved with other men's Bible studies. I started trying to figure out what did I do? What happened? How did I know this truth? I mean, and I learned a lot. I am not the first one. Jesus calls to him, uh, come follow me. I'll teach you to be fishers of men. Those men dropped their nets and followed Christ. That's exactly the same thing that happened to me. I was a hunter of animals. Now I'm a hunter of men. <laughs> and, and we started putting on events that had to do with kids, especially kids that were in the same situation that I was, and we started putting these events on in different places throughout the country. And I'll tell you what, it was just amazing when you put a bow in a kid's hand and see what it does in their life. 
and then to get them out there in the outdoors and get them away from the cell phones and the video games and all the rest of the stuff, they ain't got time for it. And I'll tell you what, if you got a, a phone in your hand, watch out because somebody's coming with a squirt gun, you're going to get it. It's just fun stuff. <laughs> but when we put on the camps, God put it on my heart that we had to be totally free to everyone because the single parent moms and the grandma and grandpas could not afford to have their kids come there, not even for five or 10 bucks. So I had to figure out how to do it so that we would raise enough funds to be able to have these kids come for free. And then the top it off, we gave them hats and t-shirts. And I got letters from people that says, dear Kicking Bear, how do we get the hat and t-shirt off my kid? The kids are coming there, they come to camp, they're having so much fun that they go home and they won't, they sleep with the hats and t-shirts on it. Incredible stuff. But in this day and age, it's been amazing to me because this year is the 25th year, 25 years of doing Kicking Bear. Not one kid has paid a dime to be a part of what we do. And our whole focus is exactly that, is to let them know that there really is a God. He's got a purpose for them, and that purpose is for good. And these things that are going on in their life, it's, it's maybe a college of hard knocks, but someday you're going to turn around and use that to do what God has called you to do. And the camps, I'll tell you, they're anywhere from 125 kids to 300 kids. We've had it as high as 1,500 people at a camp. And I'm going to tell you what, you better stay in really good shape because when you've got three to 500 kids chasing you, uh, now this is why God got me prepared with this powerlifting stuff. He was getting me all prepared with all of it. The same thing with shooting the bowl and raising funds to keep the camp going. He had me in business, he had me shooting the bow, and he had me doing physical things because this is a calling that he had for me. I could see it as clear as as, a, as can be right now. I didn't see it then, but I understand it now. Mm-hmm. Going forward, taking these kids and taking them on group fishing trips and taking them on group hunting trips and watching them harvest their first deer or pull the first fish out of the water, the coolest thing is taking them bow fishing. The middle of the night, you're going down the down the river with uh, these kids in a boat, and it's unbelievable because most of the time, a lot of kids don't know each other, and within minutes, they become best friends because they got something in common. They got the same situation, and gosh, they're switching sides of the boat because one kid's getting more shooting than the other, and they're doing it <laughs> out of respect for each other. And uh, we were going down the the river the one night, and we had. I think there was six kids on this boat with me and the other guys. And I just sitting there thinking about where would these kids be tonight if they weren't here on the boat, bow fishing? And you think about it, holy smokes, mm-hmm. you know exactly where they'd be. Yeah. I can't really take any credit for what's gone on with Kicking Bear. God called me and I was obedient to it. And in this calling, I get to witness victory in Christ. The victory that I witness is unbelievable. There is no money in the world that you can give anybody to change their heart. God can do that. And wow. Last year when we had all the camps, there was so many decisions for Christ. There was so many baptisms at the camp. And this year here, what we got lined up going forward, starting next weekend, is crazy. It's just unbelievable. And it's everywhere. So... We did 122 events throughout the United States, and this year here, (laughs) it's even more. Yeah, so we started training champions. We started teaching them how to do what I do, and uh, last year we trained about 60 champions, and so several of the camps this year are going to be run by champions. But this is God's way of growing this thing, and I don't know. It's just, it's really cool to witness. So I guess I got talking for quite a while there, didn't I? That's okay. I man, what a story for one. So thank you for sharing that. But the other thing I had a lot of thoughts while you were talking, like one of the things though, you were talking about the fatherlessness problem or the father wounds that we have in this country, in this world, we have a huge problem of fathers who aren't there for their kids. And they have that, like, where's my dad? And they need that father figure. And you had someone come into your life and and be there for you. But you also talked about God always having a plan and everything that happened in your life wasn't a mistake, right? And I, I hear a lot of people say, why me? Woe is me. All these things happen to us for a reason. 
um, I, I think back to Genesis, the very end of Genesis, it talks about Joseph's reconciling with his brothers and they're scared because they sold him into slavery. They put him in a really bad situation, but he ended up saving their lives because God put him in the right position and there was a food store so that they could survive. And they're scared of him. And he's, Hey, God took what you meant for evil and he made it for something. And I think that's the really powerful thing about our God is that he takes things and circumstances that aren't ideal and he ends up using them for his glory. And it's not about our glory, right? You talked about that. You talked about how you had these championships and did all these things and set records, but it's not about us. It's about his glory. And so I was just, it was just really cool to hear your story and hear you talking about that for these kids and for these camps. What are some of the things that you really try to instill, break down like what a camp's like for a kid? Because it sounds like you're going to be trying to expand into Wyoming. Is that right? Yeah, we're going to start Wyoming this year, too. This is going to be cool. Uh, had a chance to meet with a wonderful group of men, and they're putting the camp together right now as we speak, and we're coming. And what what's fun about a kicking bear camp is they get to experience all these new skills like archery and tomahawk throwing and BB guns and wrist rockets. We get to shoot all that stuff. Some places we even have it where they're shooting trap with us and stuff. And, and so the kids get to understand about firearms. A lot of kids don't understand about firearms. Their parents are afraid to have them understand about firearms, but they need to understand that they're real and they can hurt somebody. But when we come to camp, everything is 100% safe. They get to learn all this stuff. And you want to see the self-esteem of a kid go from rock bottom to right to the heights. You put a bow in their hand and watch them whack uh, the target a few times. The hooting and the hollering that goes on, it's just fun. So then we have a kicking bear tough course where we got all kinds of water balloons being thrown. And you name it, We it's just fun. You, you go through these different things and try to run through them in you become a, a kid with the kids, and I can't believe how fast some of these kids are. They start, the next thing, they're right back at the start again, and you're going through 21 obstacles. And then we have stuff like arts and crafts where they can come in and do all kinds of painting and those type of skills. And so the main thing is to find out what kids don't have a chance and talk to the men that are there and put together the group hunting and the group fishing trips. And that. Uh, once you do that, you get these kids off the streets. I got a letter from Cal Ferguson. We started Kicking Bear in Pampa, Texas. And this letter was a little eye-opening to me. And we went there. We started the first Kicking Bear camp. I was with him for three years with their camp. And then they kept going with their camp on their own. And uh, Cal wrote a letter to me. He said, we set out to change a few kids' lives in our community. He says, in 11 years' time, he says, this ministry has changed our community. Now, I didn't see that. But you think about it, you start having 250 to 350 kids per year coming to a camp. And then the follow-up is with the hunting and the fishing and doing what they do. Man, that's pretty eye-opening. That's and, and that's real. Yeah, when you come to a kicking bear camp, you might as well plan on just having the time of your life. And there's going to be... Water balloon fights, there's going to be marshmallow fights, there's going to be bonfires, there's going to be all kinds of fun stuff to do, tug-of-wars and gunny sack races. You know what's funny about the tug-of-wars? A lot of our camps, it's about 50-50 on girls compared to boys. When you have tug-of-wars, I will tell you that probably three-quarters of the time, the girls will blow the boys right out of the water. It's pretty cool to witness that. (laughs) Girls are uh, tough, man. Oh, they're a little bit more organized. That's all I can say. When when somebody yells tug, they tug. And so it's been fun. I don't even know how else to explain it. But in sharing the gospel at the camp, uh, this is really something to witness. Uh, 1,500 people at a camp and sharing the gospel after having all this fun and tearing it up with all these people, when you're there talking to them, you could about hear a pin drop. How could that even be with that many people? Yeah. And that has always just, I don't know, it's just stunning. I it, And then when you have the salvation prayer and you 
ask anybody that has given their heart to the Lord tonight, come on up. We got a Bible for you and talk to you some more. You cannot hand out the Bibles fast enough. You can't hand out the salvation poem cards fast enough. That to me is, it's unreal. It's just like they, they want to get away from the garbage that's out there. I want something new in my life. I want, I'm tired of this. Yeah. Tired of the devil turning us into puppets. And that's really what I've been witnessing. And the adults, when they come to camp with the kids, I tell them, you're going to be sore for three days after I'm done with you. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the way fun. it should be, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do a men's backpacking trip with my church here in Riverton. And I took my son this year for the first time. And it's not an easy pack in. It's six miles and it's a couple thousand feet elevation gain. It's a challenge. but yeah. And that kid... He was like a motor mouth, man. He loved it. He was just talking the whole time, talking about everything that was around, how much he loved it. He even fell in the lake, one of those high elevation lakes a couple of times and got cold and we had to dry him out by the fire. He's still just chattering away. This has been the best thing in my life. I want to live up here. And I think it's good that you guys are doing this because kids need that and they need hope. And I, and I think that's one of the things that we just lack is that hope and that's why you have to have your hope in christ right because where else are you going to put it other things are going to let you down but he doesn't ever let us down um but yeah it's super cool do you guys know like the location of where you're thinking that this camp will be they're going to be getting back with me on it and it'll be up on the website we're actually thinking about teaming and bringing in the rosebud indian reservation people and some of pine ridge people too there probably will be several camps as we go forward but to begin with, they're picking a spot where we can have it, where we can bring in a few other groups in there. These men that are there, they got buses and stuff. Mm-hmm. They come up and say, great, we'll use the buses. We'll go get the kids. I said, really? Yeah, let's do it. And that We'll have the location here pretty quick and, cool. and where we're going to have that. Let uh, us know so that we can help tell people about it because we've most of our listeners are Wyoming-based since we're a Wyoming-based podcast, so we can help get the word out. But that's super exciting. I'm really looking forward to hearing where it's going to be and more about it. So it's going to be awesome. Yeah, that (laughs) – those guys that are there are like a bunch of little kids. Uh, They have have a heart of a kid. They love the Lord, and they want to help others. And that, to me, is the kind of people I like being around. One of the things I learned through Bible study that was so eye-opening to me is a little bit about what we talked about. God has already made us perfect, just the way we are, to do His will. We don't have to be big muscle men. We don't have to be the prettiest girl in the world. All we got to do is set our course on following Christ, and you'll have joy in your heart. And for me, I, I was doing a study on Moses, and I Moses and how he was using that staff. And I thought about that. I thought, man, anybody saw Moses using that staff and doing the things he did with you with an earthly thought, man, if I had that staff, I, I'd be rich and famous. And <laughs> so I wanted to find out what happened to Moses' staff after he died. And I'm going to tell you something. I couldn't find anything on it. I found Aaron's staff went into the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. I kept looking up staffs. I trying to figure out where it's possible where it might have showed up again. Couldn't find nothing. I get to Gideon. Gideon is being called to war. Gideon doesn't know if God is real or not. And angel showed up, took Gideon's staff, touched the offering, it burnt up. Gideon knew God was real. And when you read the story of Gideon and what he did with 300 men, it's totally impossible without God. And so I, It went on for a while longer. I was trying to figure out what happened to the staff, but I couldn't find nothing. And one day I was sitting in my office right here. I was sitting in my office. And Pastor Mark Clements comes walking, a great big smile on his face. He likes to hunt and fish. Walks in, sits down in the chair, big grin on his face, he leans back in the chair, and he goes, Ray, you got to take that staff that God gave you and get out and do more shooting demonstrations and bring more men to Christ. I said, what? He says, you're bold. He said, that's the staff that God gave you to change men's lives. And when he said that to me, I got pretty emotional. How do you even know what I was thinking about or what I was studying on? But the truth of the matter is, I did use it for an earthly focus at one time. I made money with it. I I chased my dreams with it and did what I wanted to do. But now I look at my bow totally different. His plan was to put a bow in a kid's hand and lead their family to the Lord one-on-one. That was the plan. I did a shooting demonstration in Florida 
They wanted me to shoot a world distance record with my bow. They put a target up at 310 yards. And on the first practice shot, <laughs> that arrow disappears in the air. And I heard whap. And all of a sudden, these people are calling from down on the other end. And they said, bullseye. I walked down there, and no kidding, that arrow was wow. sitting in the bullseye of that target. How could that be? There's so many variables, I can't even explain it to you. It's just like <laughs> cutting five, five ribbons in a row. There's a lot of variables. And anyway, the pastor got up. There was 400 men there. He got up and talked about missing a mark, which was called sin back in the day. Mm-hmm. And that day, there was 39 men gave their heart to the Lord. That shook me up. Was it because of my shooting? I don't know. But that did happen. (laughs) I look at it, too. If if you're having things go upside down in life and you don't feel that you can keep up with the Joneses or you don't look as pretty as that person or you're not built like the other one, it doesn't matter. He's already made you perfect to do his will. God's put those dreams in your heart. He put dreams in my heart when I was 13 years old sitting in jail, and he had a purpose for that. And now I see it completely clear. And so I get to do kicking bear. I don't plan on retiring. I, I, I love doing what I'm doing. I'm sure I'm going to probably drop dead in the middle of a marshmallow fight someplace, but it's pretty awesome. You can get in a marshmallow fight. I don't care if you're five years old or 65. You're right in the middle of it, and it's tough. It's fun. Yeah. So, I, so Ray, it's, it's not just the kids' hearts that you're touching. You and I met a year ago, right? Here I am trying to grow this business, trying to hunt the, the big game, go around the world, hunt with my bow. And here I am building the bow spider temple to David, right? Here I am going on these hunts, glory to David, so I can be this big, tough, bad bow hunter, right? Got my home gym lifting weights, trying to not chase Olympic world records like you, but definitely stay fit in shape so I can go do all these things. And the day you and I met, like I got hit with a big stick and said, here's a guy that's done all the things you're trying to do. David changed course, right? He basically said, happiness isn't at the end of that road. You can spend the rest of your life chasing the money, chasing the hunts, chasing the dream. And you're not going to find that. But you and I have had some uh, pretty spiritual talks about this. And I'm not, I'm not here to tell everybody that David's the big tough guy anymore. I'm, I'm here to serve him, and how can I do that? By bringing you on. It's just, it's an honor to get to know you, and I just want to say thanks for coming on and sharing your story. For sure, it's, it is inspiring, and it's cool, and I want to see where Kicking Bear goes in another 10 years. That's pretty amazing what God is doing. And really, what's interesting, when you give your heart to the Lord and you become a servant, uh, a servant leader, and you're following and doing what you're called to do, you really do take all this stuff off of you and you really realize it really is not you. And once you see it, it's pretty amazing. And you know where you're going. So while I'm here on earth, uh, I got the opportunity to push the devil back. I get the opportunity to cause trouble for that pipsqueak. And, 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 and push them out of these kids' lives and let them know the truth. When we get to heaven, we're all going to be in heaven. It's going to be pretty smooth. So while we're here on earth, we might as well cause trouble for that pipsqueak because we ain't going to be able to have to do that in heaven. So it's an interesting thought on stuff. And so you might as well, might as well have fun and do the Lord's work while you're here and witness victory in Christ and other people's lives. And, and David, thank you for sharing that. I know God's got a purpose for each and every one of us, and he's given us a a path to go down, but it's in his timing when lives change. I don't know how else to put that. I I was older when God grabbed a hold of me, and I cut those five ribbons, and I knew the truth that day. And I made a promise. Matter of fact, it was my second promise. My first promise was to Tom Pokey. I wasn't going to run away from my foster home again. Tom Pokey found me a better home. I got to go hunting and do stuff with him. My second promise was to Jesus Christ to follow him. And you know what? He's got a better home for me, too. And now, instead of a hunter of critters, I've been a hunter of men. And I got joy in my heart. 
it's a pretty interesting scenario. It's interesting <laughs> to go all the way back to your five years old and realize everything was done for a purpose. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, like I said, it's really great to meet you too. And thanks for coming on the podcast. We're going to have to wrap up here, but tell people how they can get involved and how they can find information about what you're doing. Our website is kickingbear.org. We also have a newsletter that goes out once a month. And we're also on Facebook, Kicking Bear. And so just follow what we're doing. If you see a Kicking Bear camp someplace, just show up. Bring them kids and show up. Bring your own kid and a kid from outside your home and show up. And like I said, you're going to be sore for three days afterwards, but you're going to have the best time of your life. And you never know. That kid you bring from outside your home, what happens if he gives his heart to the Lord? And now he's got a family to go to church with. That's a true story. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Good deal. Again, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. It's super exciting. Send us updates when you figure out the Wyoming location and details. You never know. We might just show up. Oh, yeah. I'd love throwing marshmallows at you guys. This is going to be good. I, I don't know. I'm pretty hard to hit, Ray. I'm, I'm going to zig and zag. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, I love those marshmallow fights. Those are fun. So, yeah, yeah. definitely looking forward to it. Cool. We're going to wrap this one up. David and I have got another one coming up here in just a few minutes. So thank you so much. And we'll follow up with you when we get this thing ready to go and scheduled. So, Yeah, thank you for the blessing. It's been fun. Thank you. All right. Yep. Okay. Bye. All right. See ya. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Carbon TV, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation. We'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thanks again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.